Um, moving on, we're, we're going to, to um, have our message today. And what we've been do trying to do over the, the last few months is, during our community service, kind of bring focus on our five purposes. And, and so if, if you're new to the church and don't really know what our five purposes, it's right here behind me. So we've got commu uh, community, discipleship, service, evangelism, and worship. And so today, I'm going to pick up on, on worship, and, um, and my title of the message is, is centered around sacred, the idea of sacred or the concept. And, and often, that's something, I think when we say that word, we don't really use it in our everyday language nowadays. Um, we, we say sacred and we think, oh, sacred college, you know, or, you know, a traditional church or a cathedral, um, that's sacred. But, you know, one, one thing, sacred actually just means the things of God. So everything that we do is sacred. So, you know, reading through the Bible, um, I'm not sure if you guys have read through these few stories, but I was bothered the first time I read about God killing Yusa just because he tried to keep the Ark of the Covenant from falling. Remember that story? Yeah? I, I read it as a small kid and go, oh my goodness. <laughs> just someone just died just like that. And Yusa touched the Ark because the cart it was riding on hit a pothole. That was Second Samuel 6. And it's, it seems like a real trivial mistake, isn't it? With good, he had good intentions. Sure, God has forbidden anyone from touching the Ark. But what was... Uh, you, you're supposed to do. Let the holy art of God fall to the floor. Moving on, it's King Saul. Isn't it a little puzzling that King Saul's sacrifice cost him the kingdom for Samuel 13? After all, he waited seven days for Samuel the priest to come and make the offering. But Samuel didn't show up when he said he would. To me, it seems noble that Saul offered the sacrifice because he didn't want to go to war without first acknowledging God. But now the kingdom will be torn from him? Or how about Moses, who didn't get to see the promised land because he struck the rock rather than speak to it? Numbers 20. After everything that Moses went through, he was one of the faithful servants of God. Was it such a big crime to be frustrated with the people and strike the rock in anger? Then, in the New Testament, we have Ananias and Sapphira. Well, they were both struck dead because they lied about how much money they donated to the church, Acts 5. And this is in the New Testament, not the Old Testament. And I mean, really, who hasn't exaggerated? Who hasn't made a big fuss or something? And to top it off, the Apostle Paul told the Corinthians that many of them were sick and had even died because they celebrated communion in an unworthy manner. 1 Corinthians 11.30. So if Paul wasn't exaggerating, not to freak anyone out, but could we be one step away from death? Because to many of us, many situations in Scripture involves a punishment that was too severe for the crime. Why do we feel this way? We, don't we feel this way because we don't understand what it means for something to be sacred. We've lost that concept. Because we live in a human-centered world among people who see themselves as the highest authority. 
we are quick to say things like, that isn't fair. I find myself saying that all the time. Because we believe that we deserve certain rights as humans. Yet, we give little thought to the rights God deserves as God. Even in the church, we act as though God's actions should revolve around us. The stories in scripture are meant to show us that something that there exists something of greater value than just our existence and our rights. There are things that belong to God, sacred things. The Ark of His Covenant, His command to Moses, the Ten Commandments, His offerings in the, in the temple, His Holy Spirit, His Holy Communion, His sacred church. In all the above situations that I mentioned, people rushed into something sacred and paid the price. We shouldn't be surprised. Instead, we should be humbled. We have all done things more irreverent than those mentioned. So let's thank God for His mercy and tread more carefully into sacred matters. So my first point I want to make is rushing into the sacred. Because we live in a world where people carelessly rush into things, don't we? If we don't rush, we'll be passed up and missed out. So we frantically follow the pattern of the world and ignore the fact that God calls us to act differently. Productivity is no sin. But when it comes to the sacred, God commands us to proceed with caution. Others may treat these things as common, but we cannot. When others quickly judge God's actions and question His commands, we have to be careful even to speak His name. We don't callously question His actions or inaction. Instead, we pray, hallowed be your name in Matthew 6, 9, or in Luke 11, 2. While others rush into prayer with opinions and demands, we have to cautiously approach His throne in reverence. Like the high priest entering the Holy of Holies, we are to treat prayer as sacred. I read this verse um, as a call to worship last week from Ecclesiastes 5, 1 to 3. Guard your steps when you go to the house of the Lord. To draw near is to listen, no, to draw near to listen is better than to offer the sacrifice of fools. For they do not know that they are doing evil. Be not rash with your mouth, nor let your heart be hasty to utter a word before God. For God, comes with my, for God is in heaven and you are on earth. Therefore, let your words be few. For a dream comes with many business and a fool's voice with many words. No, that's one of the ver- words we go, oh, that's in the Old Testament, we can probably skip over it. No, oh, the whole Bible is God's word. I don't know if you, you've noticed, but nowadays people are speaking more quickly and even abbreviating words like LOL, right? So that they can squeeze the greatest number of words into a 10-second slot, right? So you ever, ever compared how fast you can text? The world speaks quickly and loudly. So it's tempting to speak even faster and scream even louder so that your voice will not be drowned out. But we must avoid that temptation. The Bible is clear. Those who talk a lot, sin a lot. We we can never believe that we must sin in order to make a greater impact. James 1.19 Notice, my beloved brothers, 
Let every person be quick to hear, slow to speak, slow to anger. Proverbs 10:19. When words are many, transgression is not lacking. But whoever restrains his lips is prudent. For myself, I have not always treated the church as sacred. I've spent many years doing whatever works to, to get people's attention. I've joined millions of people and been too quick to speak and too sure of my opinions. And part of me wants to stop talking about the sacred things of God. But that train of thought assumes it's never sinful to stay silent. And I'm not trying to equate myself with an Old Testament prophet. But when we think about the things God has laid on our hearts, we should resound, we should resonate with Jeremiah's dilemma. God gave him hard things to say to his people. And Jeremiah wanted to stop speaking, but he couldn't. It says here in Jeremiah 28 to 9, For the word of the Lord has become for me a reproach, the decision, all day long. For if I say, I will not mention him or speak any more in his name, there is in my heart as it were, it were a burning fire shut up in my bones, and I am weary with holding it in, and I cannot. So what we must do is, is to proceed with reverence caution. To treat God's church as sacred demands careful teaching and humble, uh, careful and humble teaching. So here is my attempt. God's church is a sacred mystery. There is no greater honor on earth than to be part of God's church. When was the last time you were all struck by the fact that you are part of Christ's body? Have you ever marveled at this privilege? Ephesians 5, 29-30 says, For no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes it and cherishes it, just as Christ does the church, for we are members of his body. All of us, every believer, needs to stare at these verses long enough to be stunned. I mean, really stunned. Paul referred to it as a profound mystery. If achievement is your idol, you won't make time for mystery. You would rush to the next task at hand, rather than meditate on the miracle that you are a human being who is currently joined to a God who dwells in unapproachable light, 1 Timothy 6.16. And in Ephesians 5.32, talks about this mystery. This mystery is profound, and I am saying that it refers to Christ and the church. So I urge you, slow down long enough to marvel. The sun, let's take the sun for example. The sun is 93 million miles away, but you can't stare at it, can you? You, can't, you obviously can't touch the sun and live. So how is it possible that we are currently attached to the one who shines more brightly than the sun? High angels cover themselves with their wings in his presence. Isaiah 6, 2. Yet you are a member of his body. Why would someone so extraordinary care, choose to care for you like his own arm? Shouldn't that cause you to pause even for a minute to worship him when we gather. But often, we're too busy. It's no wonder we are not known as those who rejoice 
with joy that is inexpressible. First Peter 1.8 We don't make time to meditate on his mysteries. My second point is that we are a small part of the temple. One of my favorite scenes in scripture is the dedication of the temple in 2 Chronicles 7. I think most of us would wish we were there to see it, being alive at that moment. 2 Chronicles 7, 1-4 As soon as Solomon finished his prayer, fire came down from heaven and consumed the burnt offering and the sacrifices. And the glory of the Lord filled the temple. The priest could not enter the house of, of the Lord because the glory of the Lord filled the Lord's house. When all the people of Israel saw the fire come down and the glory of the Lord on the temple, they bowed down with their faces on the ground, to the ground on the pavement, and worshipped and gave thanks to the Lord, saying, For he is good, for his steadfast love endures forever. Can you imagine watching fire come down from heaven? What is God's glory like? And I can imagine my heart pounding if I'm there. Can even picture myself even struggling to breathe and keep from fainting. You know, I even picture that when we meet God face to face, that would probably be my reaction. Then there's the thrill of worshiping with other believers in the, in the midst of all that. The temple was the place where heaven intersected with earth. A, a, only a glimpse of his glory was made visible to human eyes. But that's the Old Testament. That's the temple. The New Testament describes something even greater. And the fact that I and most of us will probably, you know, cover the Old Testament experience of wanting to be at the temple. That fact indicates that we don't appreciate the new reality that we have as we should. Ephesians 2, 19-22 says... So then, you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with saints and members of the household of God, built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Jesus Christ himself being the cornerstone, in whom the whole structure, being joined together, grows into a holy temple in the Lord. In him, you also are being built into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. Yeah, sure, I would give anything to stand outside the temple and watch God's glory descend. But we get something so much better. We are literally part of the temple itself. Somehow, by the blood of Jesus, we became worthy to join with others to form a dwelling place for God. Peter describes this as living stones. 1 Peter 2.5 We are a stone in the same structure in which, in which the apostles and prophets are the foundation, and Jesus himself is the cornerstone. When Paul talked about this concept, he used the plural form of you with the singular form of temple. We are all joined together to form one house for God. Somehow, we are, the, we are blocks of a temple that transcends time and space. And because the structure is a temple, this means that God makes his home among us. You should be bursting out your skin at this point. But for most of us, it's something that we take for granted, don't we? Because don't even try to solve this mystery. 
just stare at it. When Paul explained the mystery to the Corinthians, he added a terrifying warning. First Corinthians three sixteen to seventeen. Do you not know that you are God's temple, and God's spirit dwells in you? If anyone destroys God's temple, God will destroy him. For God's temple is holy, and you are that temple. Let's think back to the scene in Second Corinthians seven, when the fire came down and God's glory filled the temple. Would you have considered taking a sledgehammer and striking the temple? Of course not. Then, why are we so quick to gossip, to slander leadership, and divide the church? If anyone destroys God's temple, God will destroy that person. Why is God so harsh about this? Paul explained that God's temple is sacred, and we collectively are the temple. Every time you speak evil about a member of the church, it is like taking a sledgehammer to the temple. Are you sure you want to keep doing that? And I'm not saying that you can't have feedback about leadership, and and you know, but let's be careful with our words and action. We are dealing with something sacred. Let's stay on the right side of his protection. Maybe this is why Paul said in Titus three ten, as for a person who stirs up division, after warning him once, then twice, have nothing more to do with him. We cannot be enablers of division. God hates this sin too much. His temple is too sacred. We live in a culture today that we are used to evaluating and giving our opinions on everything, isn't it? Whether it's the pizza we eat, our Uber driver, the movie we just watched, our friend's picture on social media, everything is set up for us to be able to critique and compare. So in the church. Rather than marvel at the incredible mystery that we are part of God's body, we critique the, the leadership, the music, the programs, anything we can think of. We point out the flaws in Pastor Ian's sermon, or my sermon, <laughs> with the same conviction that we are crit- critiquing a movie star's acting or our favorite sports team recent loss. Could it be that we are taking a sledgehammer to the temple in doing so? Remember. That the temple was the location that God chose to live on Earth, and now, the church is that temple. We are that church. Consider this: Second Corinthians seven, when the sorry, Second Chronicles seven, when the temple was dedicated. That wasn't the only time that heaven that fire fell from heaven onto the temple. It also happened in Acts two when the church was born. The disciples were united in praying. Tongues of fire fell on them. They were the temple. Fire fell on them, and you know the rest of the story. The next point is that you are a small part of heaven. You are a part of something much bigger than yourself, something sacred, like I've talked about. Through Jesus' sacrifice, you have been joined to His church. Because of this, you are not only a part of God's sacred temple. But also a part of the heavenly community, and this is big news. Take some time to read Revelations four to five, as it describes the scene in heaven. The section begins with a majestic picture of God on His throne. The scene is busy and intense, isn't it? The four living creatures are declaring His holiness. The seven spirits of God are blazing. 
myriads of angels are praising Jesus with loud voices, and the 24 elders are flat on their face while laying their, their crowns before him. Then, in chapter 5, verse 8, we finally appear, the saints. And when he had taken the scroll, the four living creatures and the 24 elders fell down before the Lamb, each holding a harp and golden bowls full of incense, which are the prayers of the saints. So there we are. You see it? It's the prayers in the bowl of incense. Isn't that awesome? We get to be part of this unbelievable scene. But some of you might be thinking, oh, is that, a, is that all we, we get? A small bowl. The, uh, my prayers are only lumped up with the prayers of other believers, you know? But don't worry, you're also mentioned in, in verse 13 when your voice joined in the choir, in the chorus of billions. And when I hear every creature in heaven and on earth and under the earth and in the sea and all that is in them, saying, to him who sits on the throne and to the Lamb, be blessing and honor and glory and might forever and ever. What? This is such a tremendous and unspeakable honor. But check your heart right now. It might feel in, insufficient for some of us because we are used to being God of our own blogs and Twitter accounts. It might feel insignificant for those of us who have erected our own shrines on Facebook and Instagram filled with beautiful pictures of ourselves. And here lies the danger of clamoring for attention. We don't realize that true joy comes from the opposite. Joy comes as we stand among those that Jesus has redeemed and get lost in the sea of worship, becoming, becoming fully a part of something sacred. Gathering as a church like we do this morning should lead us to holy ground, even though this is a school. Because you get to come and worship someone else with somebody else. You get to pour out your love to him by serving those around you and considering them more important than yourself. It's not about you, sorry to say. And you should be glad it's not about you because it is, there is something far greater than you and it is sacred. Next, we are, my final point, we are a, a small part of an eternal plan. Have you ever stopped to think that? Like seriously, think about it. Your existence didn't beginning, begin at conception, no matter what the world is trying to tell you. No. You began in the mind of God before the foundations of this earth. Meditate on that. Few things will make you feel smaller or bigger. Ephesians 1, 4-5 Even as He chose us in Him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before Him. In love, He predestined us for adoption to Himself as sons through Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of His will. So, far from being an accident, you and I are part of a brilliant plan that started before planet Earth and continues beyond it. This is why self-deprecation is as wicked as slandering God's church. 
we are belittling the creation of something God has planned and crafted. He chose us before the foundations of the, of the world and knew us before he made us, Jeremiah 1.5, and drew up works for us before we were even created, Ephesians 2.10. He had plans for his sacred church and he included us in those plans. This thought should bring tremendous peace to our often stressed souls. The more I think about it, the more honored I feel to be chosen as part of God's eternal plan for the church. If you're not fascinated by your inclusion in this church yet, it might help you to know there are beings in heaven that stare at the church and wonder. Ephesians 3, 8 to 10. And this is Paul talking. To me, though I am the very least of all the saints, this grace was given to preach to the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ and to bring to light for everyone what is the plan of the mystery hidden for ages in God who created all things so that through the church the manifest wisdom of God might now be known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly places. Think about what this is saying. God wants to show the heavenly beings his incomparable wisdom. And so what does he do? He created the church. I believe we have a sacred responsibility to function as his church in a way that the rulers in heavenly places can marvel at God's wisdom. They ought to see a oneness in us that displays God's brilliant plan. If we go back two verses earlier, we see that Paul explained that the great mystery God is revealing uh, now is the Gentiles becoming members of the same body as the Jews because of what Jesus had done on the cross. So this is the divine mystery that was, mystery that was hidden in God for ages because in the Old Testament it was just the Jews. The great review that heavenly authorities were anticipating has arrived. So picture this, the curtain is drawn back and the heavenly authorities, they gasp as they see the church. They're going, no way, this is unreal. And through the cross, people of every nation and tongues becoming members of one body, that's amazing. God himself is joining with his creation and allowing them to be part of his body. It's unbelievable. But this is his plan all along. It was going to come one day when God Almighty would dwell with people of all races. They would be brought to complete unity, forming one temple, which would be the dwelling place of God. So can I get the worship team up in this I wrap up? And to wrap up, I'm, I'm, I want to challenge us. Why does all this matter so much? Many today treat the church as optional. We hate the word compulsory or you know, mandatory. They treat it as if it's some outdated way to connect to God that had long outlived its usefulness. They'd rather connect with God on their own, in their own way, without all the weird people like me making things difficult. Or modern. But I can empathize with many of the feelings about the church. 
If you've been in, in the church long enough, there's always going to be difficult things or difficult people around. That's, that's because we're people. But when we see the church from God's perspective, when we appreciate it according to God's design, we are to be left in wonder. Who but God could come up with such a beautiful and ingenious plan? Personally, I can't help but see our own lameness in failing to see the beauty in God's design for the church. Even the heavenly beings are shocked by God's church, while many of us on earth yawn. The early church didn't need energetic music, great videos, attractive leaders, uh, elaborate lighting, to be excited about being a part of God's body. The pure gospel the pure gospel, the simple gospel, was enough to put them in the place of awe. Think about that. Aren't you a little bit embarrassed that you need the extra stuff? And it's not all your fault. I'm sorry to say, but for decades, church leaders like myself have lost sight of the powerful mystery inherent in the church. And we have run to other methods to keep people interested. In all honesty, we have trained you to become addicted to lesser things. We have cheapened something sacred. And we must repent. So let's do that right now. Let's repent. Father God, I just come before you. We come before you as your body, Lord. Father, strip away our pride. Our pride that goes, no, that's not about me. I'm fine. But Lord, each of us play a small part because we are interconnected with one another. We are your body. We are not independent. We are dependent on you and on each other. Father, I pray that you would reveal by your spirit. Reveal by your spirit that, that we have made something lesser more important than you. We have treated your church as less important than our own lives and our own agendas. Father, we repent right now. Teach us to repent each day, Lord. I pray that as we, we go out that it will not just be words that we have heard just even the inadequate words that I've spoken right now Lord that Father that by your spirit that you will convict each and every one of us in whether it's a little way that we need to shift our, our mindset our heart's condition towards you or to prioritize you as first in our lives Father, I pray that you would give us a hunger for your word, a hunger for your church. Because by our love for one another, the world will know that we are your disciples. So Father, I pray that as we, we now stand and worship you, that we would come 
as we are on holy ground, that we would treat the worship, the, the temple of you as sacred. In the mighty name of Jesus. Amen.